The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. Fireman Kovac, ready to see you. Jim, here's the new murder lead. Is that the way you want it? Yeah, it's all right. Mr. Crowley wants to see you right away. Okay, Barney. Oh, by the way, I uh, I read this story of yours. Stinks, huh? Well, Barney, I... Come on, we'll talk about it on the fly. Now, in the first place. Oh, by the way, you heard about it, didn't you? What? Found him dead. Who? Boss. No kidding, when? Two minutes ago. Where'd they find him? In his office. Well, how did it happen? Oh, some dame shot him. Some dame shot Why? Barney, you just asked me six very important questions. Who, what, where, when, how, and why. That's what every news story should answer. You haven't done it. Gee, Mr. Gannon, you had me... had me half scared to death. Rewrite it. Yes, sir. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, September 6, 2018. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing, it's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. So I guess I'll be looking today at the whole issue of how the fourth estate has become the false estate. Right after this reminder that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, subscribe to Just Right on iTunes and follow us on SoundCloud, hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave, visit us at www.justrightmedia.org where you can access all of Just Right's social media links and, of course, all of our archived broadcasts. Something that's a lot more important in the context of today's topic, that you can access all of our archived broadcasts, because that's something that I think is quite important in establishing what would be regarded as part of the fourth estate, as part of the legitimate media. Now, I had an interesting media, quote-unquote, experience over the weekend. I got caught up on several months of backlog of various daily print newspapers that I regularly go through and literally clip various articles. And primarily, I do this for the purposes of this show. Some of the stuff I do for my own interest, of course. But what that means is that I go through every section, even the sports, which is not my thing, and the fashion, and the automotive, and entertainment, lifestyle, news, commentary, you name it, just to be exposed to issues and topics that might never otherwise come to my attention. So there I was, going through a stack of national posts going all the way back to February and March, when I found this following article, not so unusual as an isolated item, but which touched on a subject that U.S. President Donald Trump has raised many times, and that we ourselves have witnessed and experienced. Headline reads, Trump alleges Google News bias. Rigged, he says. Written by Darlene Superville and Barbara Ortute from the Associated Press as it appeared on the National Post on August 29th. Out of Washington, quote, President Donald Trump lashed out at U.S. tech companies Tuesday, accusing Google and others of suppressing conservative voices and, quote, hiding information and good news. He cited no evidence for the claim, which echoes both his own attacks on the press and a conservative talking point. Google, operator of the world's most popular search engine, responded by saying, we never rank search results to manipulate political sentiment. 
Trump tweeted before dawn, this is a very serious situation, will be addressed. Hours later, Larry Kudlow, the president's top economic advisor, said the White House is taking a look at whether Google searches should be subject to some government regulation. Trump has made similar complaints before, but he carried it a step further Tuesday. Google search results for Trump News shows only the viewing reporting of fake news media. In other words, they have it rigged for me and others so that almost all stories and news is bad. Fake CNN is prominent. Republican and conservative and fair media is shut out. Illegal, he asks. <laughs> he added without offering evidence that 96% of results on Trump News are from national left-wing media. Very dangerous. A query Tuesday morning, several hours after the president tweeted, showed stories from CNN, ABC News, Fox News, and the Market Watch business site, among others. A similar search later in the day of Trump had Fox News, the president's favorite cable network, among the top results. Trump and some supporters have long accused Silicon Valley companies of being biased against them. But while some company executives may lean liberal, they have long asserted that their products are without political bias, and indeed, no such bias has been proven, end quote. Well, there we go. Proven by whom? And what would constitute proof of media bias to a biased media? How do you deal with that contradiction? cited no evidence without offering evidence no such bias has been proven i mean three times in this short article this statement was made thus offering itself as proof of what donald trump has been saying it is true that donald trump offered no evidence when he made the statement but why should he have had to it's not necessary to do so since that fact has been established for years now the proof of Trump's claim is so overwhelming that to document proof of it would require reprinting most of the news stories about Trump and then reviewing all the false news and fictions contained therein. This is what we've been doing for years. I personally have boxes full of newspaper clippings where so-called members of the fourth estate have been accusing Trump of being everything from mentally deranged without any proof whatsoever to racist and sexist without any proof whatsoever to the point where, being so utterly false as it is, much of our news reports on Trump have become utterly vile and contemptible. I mean, this is how bad our news media has become. And I can't count the number of times on this show that we've been offering solid proof of such bias. So if there's still reporters out there who can't see the bias, then their own objectivity is deeply in question. But the kind of bias that Trump is addressing is not bias of disagreement. He doesn't care about that. It's gone well beyond that. When the left does everything it can do to completely censor news reports that contain any truth while promoting their own brand of fake news, most of which emanates from previously respected sources. This is what's scary. So with Trump on the warpath against fake news, you can well imagine my surprise when I ran into this following article amongst all my clippings with the headline, quote, Trump said to describe the Epoch Times as most credible newspaper. And that was when I realized that the source of this clipped article was, in fact, the Epoch Times. Go figure. And it was sitting in a pile of news and commentary clippings from that specific paper. So there I had a good half year's worth, all sitting in one isolated pile, because I hadn't got around to sorting them yet, away from my copies of the London Free Press, National Post, Toronto Star, and a host of other minor publications I check out from time to time. And as I'm sifting through all of the clippings from the Epoch Times, the dominoes began to fall. 
The glaring difference in the coverage of the same stories that I've been reading in our own local media and national media versus how those same stories were covered in the Epoch Times. And it suddenly struck me that there was a much larger issue at stake here than just the fake news and media bias. In fact, the very nature and foundation of the Fourth Estate has been compromised to the point that most of the Fourth Estate no longer deserves that classification. And that's bad. But the good news is this. An entirely new media, a new Fourth Estate, is rising. One that is desperately being suppressed by the old Fourth Estate, which in today's political climate is more deserving of being regarded as the false estate. Here's the article Trump said to describe the Epoch Times as most credible newspaper which appeared in that paper on April 19th, written by Stephen Gregory of the Epoch Times staff. And this is out of Washington. Quote, A Republican candidate for the U.S. Senate in California reports that a close friend of Donald Trump says that the president believes the Epoch Times is the most credible newspaper. Quote, unquote. The Epoch Times and NTD, both part of Epoch Media Group, interviewed Paul Taylor on April 13th about his candidacy for the Republican nomination for the Senate seat currently held by Dianne Feinstein. Following the interview, Taylor related what he had heard. Quote, I've been introduced to a person who's a close friend with Donald Trump, and when I told her about the Epoch Times publication, she said that Donald Trump reads it every day and that it's one of the newspapers that he believes to be a truthful and correct paper. It's the only one he trusts, Taylor said. Now, he reads all newspapers, so he finds out what's going on. But the Epoch Times is the one that he believes is the most credible newspaper in the world. And that's a big thing. The Epoch Times English edition was founded in 2004 with an unwavering commitment to freedom of the press and truthful reporting. The news organization currently has an online readership of about 45 million page views per month and prints weekly in major cities across the United States and Canada. Surveys of major media show a negative bias in their reporting on Trump. Research by the Media Research Center showed that 90% of evening news coverage of the president on major TV networks in 2017 was negative. Similarly, a Pew Research Center study published in October last year showed that only 5% of media coverage of Trump during his first 50 days in office was positive. As an independent media, the Epoch Times has taken the lead in reporting accurately and fairly on the Trump administration. For instance, while other media have reported for over a year that Trump colluded with Russia to win the 2016 presidential election, the Epoch Times has consistently pointed out that an investigation by the Director of National Intelligence, James Clapper, ordered by then-President Barack Obama, had found no evidence of collusion. That is something that was confirmed last month by a year-long investigation by the House Intelligence Committee. Besides politics, U.S. news, and international news, the Epoch Times has a particular strength in its reporting on China. It has access to an unparalleled network of insiders and analysts providing accurate information on major events taking place in China. In Canada, Epoch Times prints in English, Chinese, and French. In all major cities, including Toronto, Vancouver, Ottawa, Montreal, Calgary, and Edmonton, we are independent and privately owned. Epoch Times was first established in Chinese in the U.S. in 2000 to fill a need for truthful, uncensored reporting on China. 
We strive to provide readers with an objective, informed perspective on issues that matter to them. In our approach and in our content, we uphold universal human values, rights, and freedoms." End quote. So all of that is just a setup for today's discussion as we now examine some of that evidence that was not offered by Trump, and then we'll review many of the headlines and some of the stories that have appeared in Epoch Times over the past six months or so, in stark contrast to what you've been reading and seeing in most of the daily North American media. Now, what we're about to hear next was taken from a special CRTV posting made by Gavin McGinnis upon learning that he had been banned from Twitter forever. And make no mistake about it, though the particular specifics may differ from case to case, his experience as someone who is seen as being on the right is mirrored by hundreds, if not thousands, of others, including yours truly. There has been some breaking news! Isn't it funny that they used a Morse code to recognize, to symbolize the news? Was this, this must have been the 1940s at best. Why is that in my head as a news sound? Do, 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 The breaking news is Gavin McInnes is banned from Twitter forever, and so are the Proud Boys, my men's club, which is... I guess the best way to describe it would be the Knights of Columbus meets Animal House. Relatively apolitical, pro-Trump, but everyone in the Knights of Columbus is pro-Trump. According to the left, though, we're a dangerous threat that's going to do something terrible like help Trump get re-elected. That's really what all this is about, the midterms. This giant wave, this conservative purge, is about preventing Trump from winning. He's already won. We know he's getting two terms. Come on, guys. Accept it. Look in the mirror and say two terms, lefties. Banned Alex Jones, they banned him on about uh, so many platforms like Pinterest and stuff, but uh, obviously Facebook, Google, the biggies. And now they banned me on Twitter. But the message I got from Twitter was, um, you have been uh, suspended, don't ever come back. That's not what suspended means, by the way. I was a bad kid in, in school. Suspended means three days, and then you come back, there's expelled. That's when you gotta get a job. Uh, note that if you attempt to start a new account, blah, 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 we'll delete that too. Suspended for blank. It's right next to you. I don't understand that. That seems really inefficient too, isn't it? It's, it's like some libtard said, uh, I wanna ban you because you're racist. And you go, what? My wife's American Indian. How am I racist? Isn't this really just about Trump and how you don't want him to win and you're trying to censor everyone who likes him on social media? By the way, just, I wanna make something clear here. Uh, the left sees me as this ominous threat they can kill. I'm already dead in a sense that you don't see me on, on YouTube anymore. I'm only on CRTV.com. Please go there right now and sign up with the passcode Gavin. You can see my show every day. You don't need me on Twitter, although I have a free podcast also called Get, Get Off My Lawn. And I do two other shows on CRTV. I do a talk show with a big set in D.C. that's called... Uh, CRTV Tonight, I forgot the name of my own show for a second there. And also After Hours, it's a more sit-down-y show. But as far as like my message uh, outside of that, it's already floating around YouTube from clips that are pirated from Fox News, from old Rebel clips. I mean, you'd have to put in facial recognition software and then say delete all those videos. Nice America, by the way, that you want. 
You can't take it away, guys. I'm sorry. The genie's out of the bottle. Trump's already won. You can't kill Alex Jones. Alex Jones made $5 million from this purge, and he's the number one app. I am worried about what this will do to CRTV uh, subscribers. I don't think we have the bandwidth. We're going to, the computers are gonna melt. Um, all right, let's let's just, so, banned from Twitter, and uh, I go, oh well, you know, it's someone else's platform. Although, Trump was told he can't block people because it's a free speech forum, but we're told we can't be on it because it's not a free speech forum. I don't quite get the hypocrisy there. Anyway, let's just look at some of the titles from the left. Totally different from the right, but there's look at Variety. Have you got that Variety article? Twitter shuts down. Uh, uh, what, what? Twitter shuts down accounts of vice co-founder. How long am I going to be the vice co-founder? That was 1994, before any of you were born. Vice co-founder Gavin McInnes, Proud Boys, ahead of Unite the Right rally. Unite the Right rally. Let's just take a step back here. You know who supports the Unite the Right rally? Nobody. No conservative you've ever heard of that's ever appeared on a screen that has a job supports Unite the Right. So that was the angle of the left. And there's something curious about this. All the headlines were the same on the left. Ezra Levant's theory is that, you know, it's linked to globalism and what he calls the Borg with the SPLC and the ADL and all these well-funded organizations that get paid to convince paranoid old people that there's Nazis looming around every corner. But isn't it funny they all have the same headline? And by the way, when I saw this headline, I went, what? Unite the right, that's why? So you're trying to argue that we were banned from Twitter right before Unite the Right so we couldn't get the Unite the Right thing going, but we don't go to Unite the Right. So that was Variety, ahead of. Then what's CBS News? Um, Twitter suspends Proud Boys Gavin McInnes accounts ahead, ahead of, of Unite, the, Unite right. the Right rally. Same title. Journalists are so lazy. And one of the reasons I think they're so out of touch these days is they honestly don't leave their little cubicle. So that's one. Uh, what was the other one? What's Huffington Post? You got that one? Twitter bans Proud Boys account before United the, the before Unite the Right to rally. Ooh, so we have some variety here. We've changed ahead of to before, and then Mashable the same. Pull that up. That should be the next one. I think did they go for before or ahead of? Oh, that's different. Holy cow, that's different. When I first put this up, it said before. They've changed their title. See, this drives me nuts about the left. Oh, you know what it is? We sent lawyers letters to all these people. Oh, wow. And modern leftist um, journalism is this amorphous blob that every time you make a mistake, you don't say update. This original version of this said that she died in uh, Kuwait. Now, now they just make her die in Afghanistan and your mistake is gone. This is why we're banned. Because a bunch of miscreant <laughs> Vagrants, there we go. A bunch of rich kids, not vagrants, a bunch of professors' sons attacked us when we were unarmed and Rufio knocked them out. Rufio Pamant. By the way, Rufio is also banned. 
They started a fight when we were protecting, basically doing bodyguard work for a Christian named Joey Gibson at Patriot Prayer, and we beat them all up. Unarmed, they were armed. That has a lot of appeal to the young people. In fact, Proud Boys numbers swelled after that. So what do you do when someone's getting popular for being awesome? You try to stop their voice. Well, I was in punk bands in the 80s. I was trading cassette tapes with people in Britain in 1986. There was life before social media, believe it or not. We were able to congregate. We were able to have massive festivals and concerts without any social media. We don't need you. The genie's out of the bottle, the cat is out of the bag, and you're out of your mind. And that was Gavin McGinnis on an August 13th online posting that followed his being permanently banned from Twitter. And I must reflect on a number of his points because they speak directly to my own personal experience, particularly in four regards. One, unite the right. Two, suspended for blank. Three, online censorship of everyone who likes Trump. And four, the impermanence of online left-wing news. How they keep changing it. First is a silly unite the right concept. I've been through this myself many times. Freedom Party grabbed the headlines way back in 1998 on March 21st in the Toronto Star, when then FP leader Lloyd Walker and myself attended a Roots of Change conference at the Royal York Hotel in downtown Toronto. The headline read, Unite the Rights Down Market Element, with the subheading, quote, If the right united, they'd want to get rid of guys like us. A quote from then FP leader Lloyd Walker. Now, there's a lesson to be learned here. Among the speakers at that event, and there were many more than I'm citing here, were Reform Party candidate Craig Chandler, who organized it, Ron Leach, speaking for the Association for the Preservation of English in Canada, known as APEC, the late Dick Fields that we talked about last week and the week before, representing the voice of Canadians, John Thompson of the Mackenzie Institute, who's been a guest on this show, Ontario Tory MPP Bob Wood, Toronto Sun business writer Linda Leatherdale, and then CFRB talk show host Michael Corrin. And here's a quote from that Toronto Star article. Quote, if conservatism means letting the market rule human affairs, Corrin said, then I am increasingly uncomfortable calling myself a conservative. Freedom Party President Metz echoed the dilemma from the other side. How, he asked, could anyone expect a libertarian like him to be in the same party as Michael Corrin? A real alliance of all right-wing forces, he said, would be a metaphysical impossibility. If the right united, they'd want to get rid of guys like us, added Freedom Party leader Lloyd Walker. End quote. Then, of course, in Freedom Party's June 1998 newsletter, Freedom Flyer 33, which you can still access on Freedom Party's website, by the way, and see all of this stuff that I'm relating right now, added these additional observations about Corrin. Quote, Nevertheless, continuing to describe himself as a social conservative, Corrin defined his philosophy as being ever pragmatic with family and community rather than the individual as the basis of society. The state has a duty to censor pornography and ban prostitution, he argued, and went on to make an emotional case against same-sex couples, legalized abortion, and euthanasia. Economic freedom is not an end in itself, Corrin argued, though never explicitly defining what end he actually supported. 
When challenged by an audience member with obvious objectivist leanings, Corrin described philosopher-novelist Ayn Rand's ideas as those one would find, quote, at the bottom of the barrel, end quote. I do believe in the redistribution of wealth, socialized medicine, and universal education, he emphasized, and went on to argue that the issue of taxation has nothing to do with morality. It's what the money is being used for that matters, end quote. Now, I realize that Michael Corrin, on whose own CTS show I appeared several times, has changed a lot of his views since those days, but that's how he expressed himself back in 1998. And I'm not even referring to his direct about-face on his support of the Roman Catholic Church, which he abandoned right after having praised it, a topic Robert Vaughn covered in some detail on a past broadcast of this show. But ask yourself a simple question. How could someone like me, who thinks in the terms of principled governance and limited government, as I'm told conservatives like to say, ever join forces with the Michael Corrin social conservatives that he described? Of course, I already knew then that Corrin sat firmly on the left, and since then, of course, he's come out of the political closet and now spews explicitly left-wing crap from CBC Radio these days. Michael Corrin's change of heart from moral conservative to social liberal read the CBC online radio news headline posting back on June 30th, 2016. Now, of course, Corrin has always been on the left, given his own self-description from the days when he still called himself a conservative. So, perhaps you'll now better understand why Gavin McGinnis said nobody on the right supports a Unite the Right rally. He's absolutely true. And as you can see, it's still a metaphysical impossibility. But consider a media label dilemma that Corrin has presented us with. As a longtime member of the media himself, would he have been considered a member of the right back in the 1990s and a member of the left today? Because if we can't really resolve even that question, then how can we possibly measure media bias towards one side or the other of the political polarity if we can't even label the media players correctly? Like, who's on whose side? Where's the bias? And after all, Corrin is saying a little different today than he was saying in the 1990s. He has just put a more appropriate label on his own political identity and now sees himself as a social liberal. Though here again, I don't know why he needs the adjective social, but I'm not going to get into that. Second point, suspended for blank. Well, Robert Vaughn and I have already related our own experience in being suspended, a word that for us as well meant banned permanently both from CHRW Radio, where this show originated, and from promoting our show to American audiences on Facebook. Both of these instances have been documented in details on past broadcasts of this show, so I'm not going to do it again here. But it's true. We were suspended for blank, unspecified reasons that we know related to the fact that we speak from the right. Which leads us to point number three online censorship of everyone who likes Trump. We have been openly supportive of many of Trump's initiatives, of course. Before announcing its no U.S. promotion policy and rejecting Facebook posts from just right, we were constantly being declined already. The right to boost any of our shows wherever we praise Trump for something. The pattern was so consistent you couldn't avoid seeing it. But does that constitute proof? Yeah, it does. And finally, number four, the impermanence of online left-wing news. If nothing else, the way that online reports can be changed and altered at whim after initial publishing is a huge danger signal. 
It's one of the reasons I still believe in the print media, a medium that has far more permanence and is far more reliable as a record of account. So this has to be carefully guarded against. Which brings us back to the Epoch Times. And here are just some of the headlines that I wanted to review for you that I read, that I ran through. I can't deal with them all. I'll stop at the occasional one and, and give a little bit of more detail. But here are some of them. Quote, European opposition to canceled Iran deal spurred by big business corruption. That was on May 17th, which is a story that pretty much vindicates Trump's cancellation of that deal. Uh, March 29th, Trump did not collude with Cambridge Analytica. Very interesting. The revelation that Cambridge Analytica improperly obtained data from an estimated 50 million Facebook users raises serious privacy concerns. Many media outlets, however, have capitalized on the incident in an attempt to project Cambridge Analytica's problems onto one of its previous clients, the Trump campaign, by overblowing its influence. Cambridge Analytica has been portrayed by many as instrumental in Donald Trump winning the presidency in 2016. The Trump campaign paid the company $5.9 U.S. million during the election campaign, $5 million of which was used to buy television advertising. The company provided the Trump campaign with data analysis and assisted in buying digital and television advertising. But it did not provide the campaign with any of the raw psychographic data wired reports. According to CBS News, a key reason for the Trump campaign to work with Cambridge Analytica during the primaries was that it wasn't certain it could rely on the Republican National Committee for data support. However, after Trump officially won the Republican nomination in July 2016, following a heated primary season, his campaign stopped relying on Cambridge Analytica data altogether and instead relied on the more advanced and accurate data of the RNC. This means that Cambridge Analytica did not play a significant role in the general election during which Trump ran against Democrat Hillary Clinton, counter to what the media coverage has suggested. It also lays bare a double standard when it comes to the use of cutting-edge bit data in political campaigns. Then-President Barack Obama was praised in news articles back in 2012 for using advanced Facebook profiling to help secure his election. End quote. So there you go, hypocrisy in the supreme. More headlines. Trump focuses on peace over politics at summit with Putin, July 19th. Again, these are all out of the Epoch Times. Quote, nearly all Clinton emails sent to foreign hostile power. FBI did nothing, according to Congressman, July 19th. NAFTA talks to get more complicated, July 12th. What I always find interesting about free trade debates is that the missing lingo of the left is the word free, at least in any meaningful way. They all say they support trade, but never free trade. Of course, they use the word free trade when what they're talking about is in no way even near to anything free from government market controls, but that's just another story. U.S. Justice Department investigates Obama administration role in spying on Trump campaign, May 24th. Trump sanctions Venezuela after sham re-election of socialist dictator. Trump officials spied on Trump campaign using at least five methods. That's from May 31st. By the way, those five methods, which for lack of time I cannot detail here, but they included national security letters, visa warrants, 
unmasking, which refers to the practice of requesting that an intelligence agency unmask the name of private American citizens who may have something to do with Trump's campaign, four, undercover informants, and five, foreign intelligence. And the details are damning to the whole Obama and Hillary campaigns. It's just devastating. More headlines. Cash flows back into U.S. at record rates since Trump's tax cuts and Jobs Act. Trump's tough stance on North Korea has put peace within reach. Trump delivers on historic Jerusalem embassy promise, and on and on. And finally, this one that I thought was really interesting. Attorney-client privilege comes under siege in U.S. All citizens' rights put in jeopardy by a diminution of the legal profession's special role. Written by Mark Ruskin, a 27-year veteran of the FBI, author of The Pretender, My Life Undercover for the FBI. He served on the legislative staff of U.S. Senator Daniel Patrick Moynihan and as assistant district attorney in Brooklyn, New York. And this is from the Epoch Times of April 19th. Quote, In the pre-dawn hours of Monday, April 9th, federal police executed no-knock warrants on the office, home, hotel room, and safe deposit box of a major cartel boss, a kingpin of La Casa Nostra, a terrorist mastermind? No. Rather, the warrants were on an attorney in private practice, Michael Cohen, whose primary client is and has been for years Donald J. Trump. The erosion of constitutional rights in the United States has become an area of concern with the politicization of the FBI, the drift toward a one-party state as the Democratic and Republican parties become increasingly indistinguishable, and the steady diminution of freedom of expression. How is it possible that an attorney's office and home can be raided by the federal police authority in order to seize documents pertaining to a client's privileged communications? End quote. And then Ruskin's commentary goes on to describe just how badly the government abused its authority in, it, in, in this instance and concluded with the following paragraph. Quote, Are the April 9th raids and seizures of constitutionally protected attorney work an example of democracy in action where not even the president is above the law? No, quite the opposite. It demonstrates that not even the president is protected by the law. So powerful is the new establishment, end quote. And with that, I think you might have just a taste of the kind of editorials and news you might find in the Epoch Times. So more from the Epoch Times, this time on headlines involving China, when we return after our next break. But coming up next, from the 1958 movie Teacher's Pet, starring Clark Gable and Doris Day, of all people, one of the best movies I've watched recently in a long time. It is a well-written and well-performed romantic comedy with many subplots, with one of the most interesting ones being about the nature of journalism itself. Now, Jim, what do you mean you're not going? I sent you a special memo to take care of it. I did take care of it. I wrote a nice long letter. You got a copy of it. Yes, I certainly did, Jim. And I told the professor that he it's, was just... It's not a he, it's a she. Well, I'm glad I didn't know that when I wrote that letter. Or I'd have really something. Do you mean to tell me that now they've got dames teaching unsuspecting suckers how to... Oh, Jim. I'm not supposed to get excited. I don't want to get excited. But when I read your letter... I, I just wrote exactly what I thought of journalism classes. You wouldn't want me to lie, would you? Oh, yes, I would. Oh, you know as well as I do it's a waste of time. 
Where did you learn the newspaper business? Working for a newspaper and not sitting with your nose in a book at some cockamamie university. Oh, now, now, Jim. The colonel who pays your salary and mine is on the board of trustees at that cockamamie university. And last year, they gave him an honorary degree. Uh, they pass those things out like somebody dealing a poker hand. Uh, but the colonel is proud of that degree. And I'm sure he wouldn't want you to do anything to embarrass him at that cockamamie university. Look, Crowley, I don't like eggheads. I don't like colleges. I can't even stand the smell of chalk. Now, please don't ask me. Uh, Jim. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not asking you to go up there. I am telling you to go. And you get there early and apologize to that woman or... All right, all right. If you really want me to go. Yes, Jim. I want you to go. No trouble. Thanks. No trouble. Tell me where I could find Professor Stone's journalism class. On the right, room 102. No smoking in the building, please. Here you are. Oh, could I have a few words with you before the class starts? With me? Yes, yes. You see, there's a little something I'd like to explain. Uh, well, it's like I said to some of the boys. Uh, <laughs> anybody who teaches journalism has got to have a sense of humor. You know what I mean, Professor. You see, when I first got that... Professor? Uh, yeah, when you sent me the... Aren't you Professor Stone? No, Clara Dibney. I think we can begin now. Oh, would someone close the door, please? Everyone be seated. Everyone. Thank you very much. And welcome to this survey course in journalism. I see a few familiar faces from last semester, and of course, many new ones. I don't know quite what you expected, but um, I hope that you won't be too disappointed. <laughs> you know, we have been very lucky every year to have had some of the really top men in the newspaper field come and talk to us. Men from the Times, the Tribune, Daily News, and many others. So tonight, to start us off, we invited Mr. James Gannon, city editor of the Chronicle. Unfortunately, however, he is not with us. In his place, Mr. Gannon sent a letter. And although it's addressed to me, I feel that uh, this is something you all should hear. My dear Professor Stone, at least I'm grateful for the promotion. <laughs> Thank you for the flattery implied in your request that I appear as guest lecturer in your journalism class. Thank you, but no thanks. If you've ever been inside a real live newspaper office, you'll remember that a city editor's job is to get out a daily paper. Unfortunately, that doesn't leave him much time for such pleasant diversions as bridge luncheons, guided tours through Rockefeller Center, the canning of crab apples, and lectures to journalism classes. Maybe it's just as well. If I came, I might get carried away by the spirit of academic integrity and tell your unsuspecting students the truth, that the only way to learn about the Fourth Estate is with first-hand experience. In the school I graduated from, there were no lectures without four-letter words in them. No books except those thrown at you to wake you up. No degrees besides the third. 
Information was gotten by keeping your eyes and ears open and your nose clean. Inspiration by a swift kick in the pants. To sum it up, I think you're wasting your time, and I prefer not to waste mine. Yours truly, James Gannon. Any comments? Yeah. Who does he think he is? Oh, he must have been joking or something. No, I'm afraid he was quite serious. You see, I happen to know Mr. Gannon very well. As a matter of fact, I can give you a perfect picture of this man without ever having seen him. He works, I'm sure, with a cigarette dangling from his mouth like so, in a suit that he hasn't had pressed in months. <laughs> and, of course, he has the battered old hat that he wouldn't give up for the crown of England. <laughs> Poker comes easy to him, but, oh, boy, he drinks hard. And after he's had a few, he'll always tell you, well, I never even got to high school, and I'm proud of it. <laughs> and, of course, he'll, uh, oh, he boasts about his exploits with the ladies. Uh, of course, he'll never marry anyone but his job. In short, he's a perfect example of that dying race, the unpressed gentleman of the press. <laughs> I hardly have to stand up here and defend education. As my father always said, education teaches a man how to spell experience. That's yeah, right. Yeah. So I shall continue wasting my time, as Mr. Gannon put it, teaching you about reporting, copy reading, makeup, and rewrite. And we'll let Mr. Gannon throw books and kick young men in the pants and continue to be one of the few relics of antiquity on display outside the Museum of Natural History. <laughs> You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. And here are some of the headline news from the Epoch Times on China. Quote, headline, in debate over Chinese regime infiltration of Australia. Academics say racism not the issue. Chinese regime has used racism claim to explain away criticism from April 5th. Well, how, how familiar does that sound? Sounds like racism is the agreed on way to, to deflect attention from things you don't want to have discussed right around the world. Ooh, here's a gruesome one. Body parts, billion dollar market tied to murder ritual sacrifice on May 24th. China has world highest rates of infidelity. Chinese regime tries to solve debt problem by issuing more debt. <laughs> hmm, where have I heard that before? Sounds like it's about all the fiscal solutions on the left. Canadian held in China faces new ordeals. Sun Quang forced to undergo brainwashing ahead of court date. New lawyer given no time to prepare case. Wow, imagine what's going on over there. Senate committee hears from experts on human organ trafficking. Bill aims to make it a criminal offense for Canadians to procure an organ abroad that was taken by force. Amazing that we would need a law like that in Canada, don't you think? And finally, this item, the Chinese regime's social credit dystopia, the threat of artificial intelligence meeting political correctness, written by Joshua Phillip of the Epoch Times staff on March 29th. And he writes, the Chinese regime is pushing a new form of order under its big data social credit system, a system based on extreme surveillance and documentation that assigns each citizen a rating and either rewards or punishes them. You know, I've seen science fictions about this. 
Quote, the social credit system being implemented in China represents the coming dystopian nightmare of authoritarian state control combined with networked databases that allow every meaningful social and economic activity a citizen engages in to be monitored for compliance purposes, said Dr. Robert J. Bunker, adjunct research professor at the Strategic Studies Institute at U.S. Army War College. In June 2014, the Chinese regime published its plans for the social credit system, which publicly scores citizens on a wide range of metrics, including their online purchases, their daily behavior, and the people they associate with. Social crimes that could render Chinese citizens unable to use the travel systems include causing trouble on a plane, spreading alleged false information about terrorism, pretty serious there, using expired tickets, giving an insincere apology, or even parking a bicycle in a walkway. Bunker said the social credit system resembles something that could be found in George Orwell's dystopian novel 1984, but noted that this real system is far more insidious as it represents a massive social engineering program, one that will increasingly be driven by facial recognition technology and artificial intelligence, and that will be used to control close to 1.4 billion people in a totalitarian communist system. The social credit system is an extreme continuation of social controls that are fundamental to all communist systems. There are two fundamental forms of order, moral order and outer order. A person's moral order is their personal restraint based on their religion, traditions, and personal values. Outer order comes from the laws of government or a collective and may not always align with a person's inner values. When a communist system takes power, the first thing it does is destroy each person's moral order. This directive comes straight from Karl Marx, who wrote in his Communist Manifesto that, quote, Communism abolishes eternal truths. It abolishes all religion, and all morality, end quote. With moral order destroyed, power is then shifted solely to heads of state, and the state is then charged with creating not only a system of laws for outer order, but to also create its own system of morals based on social policy. See that happening in Canada today. This is where the political moral system of political correctness comes into play. Well, surprise, surprise. The ideas of which were laid out in 1967 in the Little Red Book by Mao Zedong, the former CCP leader who by some estimates is responsible for some 50 million to 70 million unnatural deaths. Boy, there's, there's something you want on your resume, right? Mao's idea of political correctness was simple. If you supported political initiatives, you were correct. If you did not support these movements, you could be persecuted, imprisoned, tortured, or killed. End quote. And that is the state of, basically, the whole situation in China. Okay, back to Teacher's Pet. This may be one of the most dramatic moments we've ever played on the show, particularly the way it resolves. Check this out. And then, of course, in this sentence, whom did you mean by he? The grocer. Oh, well, that's not clear, Mr. Apino. It could mean the boy. You see, when writing news articles, you must be careful about pronouns so as not to confuse the reader. Before we go on, I just want to say that for our first try, your pieces aren't bad at all. As a matter of fact, I'm proud of you. Certainly, they're not as bad as I make them seem, standing up here taking pot shots at them. However, on the other hand, you're not quite ready for the New York Times. <laughs> <laughs> now, if I seem to be... Sorry, I'm late, Professor. It's all right. If you don't make a habit of it. 
if I seem to be rushing things a bit, it's only because I believe in learning by doing. You see, by writing and studying your news stories, you'll see the importance of some fundamental rules. The first one being, well, Kipling said it quite well in a poem that he wrote. I keep six honest serving men. They taught me all I knew. Their names are what and why and when, and how and where and who. That's right. But it wasn't the... Kipling. It was Emerson. Um, no, Kipling, I believe. You want me to look it up? Whoever it was, the thought is what's important, wouldn't you say? Well... And the thought to always remember is that every news article should... I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to sound so curt, Mr... What is your name? Uh, uh, Gus Gallagher. Uh, Mr. Gallagher, it's just that our time is so limited here, and... Oh, that's all right. I only thought... Never mind. No, 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 please. Say it. Well, I don't know much about newspapers, but I always had the idea that getting the right name on a quote was considered kind of important. Yes, by all means. And this class is supposed to be run like a real newspaper, isn't it? Yes, you're quite right, Mr. Gallagher. You see, in a class of journalism, accuracy is equally as important as punctuality. It was across town traffic. And the, the point that we're making in passing is well worth emphasizing. Um, a prominent editor was once asked, what were the three most important things to remember about newspaper work? And he said... Accuracy, accuracy, and accuracy. It was Joseph Pulitzer. Here you go. Comes in here, Kristen, show you. Uh, what do I do now? Uh, yes, well, um, uh, I'm not quite sure what to do with you. Um, you see, everyone's written a news article. Uh, maybe you could just listen to the criticisms. Couldn't and... I try writing one? Oh, well, no, that wouldn't be fair. You see, you haven't had the benefit of any discussions. I read and papers all the time. It doesn't look so hard. Oh, you're mistaken, Mr. Gallagher. Good newspaper writing is a highly specialized technique. Oh, let me take a whack at it. You can't kill a fellow for trying. All right. Here are the salient facts about a recent piece of news. I would like you to write 250 words or so. You can use that desk in the rear, if you will. The story was so much better than mine, but uh, uh, don't you think the first part is uh, too long getting to the point? Yes, that's right, Mr. Pino. Do you understand that, Mr. Corey? Yes, I do. Well, let's just sum it up by saying that, that the reader's interest must always be captured as soon as possible in the lead. Uh, Mr. Gallagher, I'm afraid you misunderstood me. I said 250 words. I said it all in 150. Is that bad? No, but... Well, you know what they say, news writing is literature in a hurry. Uh, five minutes? Well, I'm not used to the machine. Mr. Gallagher, you're not taking this work very seriously. You can't have given it much thought. Well, I did the best I could. Sit down, please. Yes, ma'am. I think we'll read Mr. Gallagher's article next. I'm not sure I can read it as fast as he wrote it, but... Uh... <laughs> A trigger-happy teenager bent on robbery shot Jerome Hefner, 62, at 5.30 p.m. yesterday and left him bleeding to death on the sidewalk in front of his grocery store at 286 East 110th Street. Within minutes after the shooting, Rosario Salas, 17, was captured in an alley behind the store and brought to Hefner's side. That's the one, cried Hefner, pointing at Salas. Hefner had been robbed twice before in the past 18 months. 
I just couldn't take it no more, the dying grocer told Sergeant Dan O'Rourke of the homicide squad. When this crazy kid waves his gun at me and says to give him my money, I just threw the dollar bills right in his face. The young assailant is the oldest of nine children of widowed Mrs. Hermanita Sawa, 623 Serto Street. He was held for investigation of murder. I didn't mean to hurt nobody, Salas told Sergeant O'Rourke. But when he threw the money at me, I don't know, people been throwing things in my face all my life. I guess I couldn't take it no more. I think Mr. Gallagher deserves an apology. I accused him of not being serious, and I was wrong. This is a remarkable first effort. In fact, Mr. Gallagher has written one of the best news articles I've ever had in my class. This piece covers everything that I've been talking about. Not only does Mr. Gallagher answer the what, when, where, who, why, and how, he puts them in such a sequence that a routine news item takes on all the impact of a short, short story. Now, let us look for a moment at how Mr. Gallagher constructed his story. In journalism, there are two basic paths. Oh, hello, I'm Chuck Darling. Hi, Ryan Church. Listen, could you move my car? I think I parked in the wrong spot. <laughs> Actually, uh, I'm the news director, so... Isn't that embarrassing? <laughs> it's the black convertible. Well, say, how old are you? Well, I know I may seem a bit young, but I basically ran the station's internet division where I guess I impressed a few people. <sighs> uh, I've been on the news side for quite a few weeks now, and you'll find I run a pretty tight ship. Does that answer the question that you were really asking? No. I'm 26 and a half. My birthday's in March. Good. Well, there's a perfect example of getting a story before getting a fact. <laughs> now, here's a few more issues from the editorial side of the Epoch Times. And this one was by Joshua Phillip from the Epoch Times staff, June 7th. And I couldn't believe this when I saw it. Nazism, fascism, and socialism are all rooted in communism, reads the headline, and it begins with this sentence. The concept of a far left that is opposed to a far right, quote-unquote, is false. Wow. <laughs> the systems placed on the two ends of that spectrum, including socialism, fascism, and Nazism, are all rooted in communism, and all of them share beliefs in core communist concepts, including state collectivism, planned economies, and class struggle. All of them were different interpretations of Marxism, formed just after World War I at a time when the ideas of Karl Marx failed to materialize and communists had gone back to the drawing board. Yet before we get into the history of these divergent systems, we first need to understand the rift between socialism and communism. Socialism was described in Marx's theory of the five stages of civilization. After he helped frame the concept of capitalism as a society in which people were able to trade freely, he proposed that after capitalism would come the stage of socialism followed by communism. 
socialism was a stage that Vladimir Lenin described as the state capitalist monopoly in which a dictatorship has seized control of all means of production. The idea was that a communist regime would use the absolute power of the socialist dictatorship of the proletariat to destroy all values, all religion, all institutions, and all traditions which would theoretically lead to the communist utopia. In other words, socialism is the political system while communism is the ideological goal. Very interesting distinction. This is why followers of communism argue that true communism has never been achieved. The system has thus far failed to utterly destroy human morals and beliefs, although it has taken the lives of more than 100 million people over the last century. End quote. The article then goes on to explain how Marx's predictions consistently failed with every historical attempt to institute his ideas, and on another point of note, mentions Hitler's hatred of capitalism. Quote, like all other communist ideologies, Hitler was also viciously opposed to the traditional capitalist system. Just as Lenin blamed wealthy farmers and Mao Zedong blamed landlords, Hitler transferred blame to a single group of people, the Jews. Citing the works of Dinesh D'Souza, Phillips writes, quote, Nazi anti-Semitism grew out of Hitler's hatred for capitalism. Hitler draws a crucial distinction between production capitalism which he can abide, and finance capitalism, which he associates with the Jews, D'Souza says. We can thank historical revisionism and plenty of mental gymnastics for the current narrative that socialism is somehow separate from Nazism and fascism, and even more so, the belief that these concepts are somehow divorced from their communist origins, end quote. And then finally, the last few headlines from the Epoch Times. I love these. Let us eradicate poverty, not demolish wealth. Government redistribution helps neither the rich nor poor. May March 1st. Why it's important to work hard, even if you don't need money or don't like your job. Working hard has deep rewards. Willpower is not enough. We need clarity and a strong sense of purpose to see us through. You know, those two headlines work together. This paper really stresses purpose over so many other things. And I see that in a lot of their lifestyle uh, articles. Is this the end of political correctness in the U.S.? Young conservatives believe speaking the truth is more important than feelings, reads the headline of March 1st in the Epoch Times. And in this feature, we see a prominent photo of Ben Shapiro in the Daily Wire. And the article concludes with a quote by Charlie Kirk, founder of the conservative youth activist group Turning Point USA. Quote, we still live in the semblance of a free society, and because of that, it has paved the way for what I believe is the greatest conservative revolution in American history, led by young people, a principled approach to defend Western civilization, end quote. So if you've been wondering just what's happened to our modern-day fourth estate, nothing really. It's just that the true fourth estate does not exist where we thought it did. In the polarization of left and right, Bias exists on both sides, but the truth, apparently, can only be found on the right. Which is a great reason for you to join us again next week, when we will continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be Los Angeles City officials met with Governor Schwarzenegger today. Let's check in now with Darcy Tanner for the latest. 
Because they make the top parts of my feet look fat. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Small glitch there. Let's check back with her after this break. Okay, that's the third time. Somebody want to call Darcy on her cell phone? Tell her I didn't freeze my off of Minneapolis and Pittsburgh to end up working with some dip who's only got a job because she's the general manager. We're still on. It was bring your daughter to work day today here at the station.